Hello, and thank you for connecting with us here at Oasis Online. If this ministry is an encouragement to you, I would love to hear from you. Would you send me an email at pastor at obclv.org? I hope you enjoy the service today and that God would speak directly to your heart. As we get into the sermon this morning, last week I started the series uh, entitled Not Guilty. We'll go in this week and then close up next week on Easter service. And then the following week I'm going to jump into verse by verse, uh, the week after Easter, verse by verse through the book of First Peter. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. But before that, we obviously get to go through Easter. But uh, um, there's, you guys, this is a really just a random thing here, but you have no idea how exciting it is. I love to teach verse by verse. And so it's just awesome. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, but I love to get into a book and really study it from the beginning to the end, look at the history, look at the, the, the ins and outs of it. And so I'm really looking forward to get into first Peter. Um, and I don't know why I said that, but hey, the week after Easter, that's what we're doing. So anyway, this morning, really most would call, uh, this week that we're going into the, the holy week where, uh, this would be the week that most of us would recognize through scripture that Jesus would, would, uh, send out his disciples and they would, uh, they would go and they would find a donkey. Then Jesus would come and get on the donkey and be brought into town and the triumphal entry would take place. I, I always say it kind of like this and, Maybe I'm wrong in saying it, but the triumphal entry that was not very triumphal for too long. Uh, because if you know the story, it wasn't too long after that that Jesus would be uh, crucified and that, that next week. But over the course of the week, I really went back and forth for the last several weeks as to, to what do I teach looking at the, the theme. And I was going to go through the week of triumphal enter, that triumphal entry, and, and I kind of changed my mind there. But as we look at this week... The week that would be the holy week, we would see so many different things. You would see that, that just shortly after that triumphal entry, Jesus would walk into the temple and most of you would know what took place. What took place when Jesus walked into the temple right after the triumphal entry? He got mad. He started throwing tables. He started flipping tables. He got upset. He got, he got angry. And so we look at that. Jesus walks in, flips the tables and disrupts the business that was taking place in the temple. There would be a time where Jesus would curse the fig tree. Jesus would go up and, and Jesus would weep over the city and weep over Jerusalem. He would teach on faith as he went back to that same fig tree. The, the Olivet Discourse would come out of this. And, and Judas, at this same time within this process of the week, Judas, Judas would bargain with the Sanhedrin over how much money and all of those things to give up Christ. There would be a Passover meal. Jesus would wash the disciples' feet. Jesus would be betrayed and placed on trial. Jesus would go into the Garden of Gethsemane and tell the disciples, hey, why don't you stay right here for just a minute? I'm going to go and pray. And we know the story. They would fall asleep. And he would come back to him and tell him the same thing. And then he would come back and they would fall asleep. And eventually we know what happens. The, 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 the men would come and they would arrest Jesus right there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he would be betrayed by all those around him. As we get into this morning's thoughts and the topic and the, the passage this morning, we look at several different things. But if we were to go back to last week, I mentioned this. One of the key distinctives in biblical Christianity is that of the forgiveness of sin. 
It is that Jesus came and proved that he was the only one who could forgive sin. Today we're going to look at Jesus in this passage in John chapter 12. Jesus is coming to a position he has just came through and said, the hour is come. He had just, uh, many times throughout the, the book, the Gospels, you would see and you would read that, that Jesus would say, well, it's not my time. The hour has not come. The hour has not come. The hour has not come. And we come to a place here where Jesus stands before those and he says, the hour is come in verse 23 of chapter 12. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And it's not too long after that where we're going to get into this morning, but Jesus comes and Jesus knew, this wasn't a surprise, Jesus knew what was about to take place. Jesus knew he would be arrested. Jesus knew that he would be betrayed. Jesus knew all of those things. But here, I find this so interesting that Jesus, as 100% man and 100% God, he stood or he was writing. I don't know what he was doing at this particular time. But in verse 27, he says, my soul is troubled. What shall I say? He didn't know exactly in his, and I, I, he knew what was happening. But yet as a human being, he was broken inside thinking, I'm about to be betrayed. I'm about to take on the the sin of the world. I'm about to be in this situation. And we, we begin to see this where Jesus looks really, and in many regards, he looks face to face into why that he came here. Again, he knew the end. He knew the detail that would come, but he recognized these things at this particular time, and he makes that statement. If we were to look at it from our perspective, if Jesus does not continue to go through with this, if in this passage of Scripture Jesus were to change his mind and change the course of everything, it changes the course of all history. Think about this. If there were no death and there was no substitute for sin, If there's no substitute for sin, then there's no offer of salvation. If there's no offer of salvation, there is no hope. The only hope that we would have, the only future that we would have would be hell. It's why his his submission and obedience to the Father is so vital to you and to I. It's why for, for him to say, I'm not guilty, I'm innocent, I'm perfect, I am the spotless Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world is so vital and so important to all of us. Not only that he said those things, not only that he was that pure and innocent Lamb, not only that he was perfect, not only that he was righteous and he was the only one that was righteous, he was the only one good enough to do what he did. Not only all those things, but he continued the course with obedience of his Father to say it wasn't about his will, but it was that his Father would be glorified in this process for if none of those things were to take place we wouldn't have salvation we wouldn't have hope we wouldn't have this all of the things that were just mentioned and as we look today at just a little piece of God's redemptive plan that the son of God came to die as a sacrifice for sin I want to look in the introduction of just a couple of the prophecies that really are fulfilled in this, which give us the hope, which give us the opportunity that you and I and for, this, for all mankind would have the, the hope that we could be called not guilty. See, if we were to go back into the Old Testament, it's in Isaiah chapters 52 and 53, and I'm not going to go verse by verse through all of these just for sake of time, but, but we would know a lot of these passages. It's in Isaiah that it would say that he was pierced for our transgression. 
He was crushed for our iniquities. He was, he would be taken away. He would be cut off out of the land of the living. There would be a grave that would be assigned with the wicked men. He would be with a rich man in his death as there was a rich man that purchased the grave for him. He would remember, he would render himself as a guilt offering that God would bless him as he poured himself out. There are so many different uh, predictions and, and, and uh, prophecies in the Old Testament that speak of this, but if we go through just very little, some of these things, Zechariah mentions the exact amount of money that would be used to betray Christ. Isaiah mentions the physical abuse that would happen. In Psalm 22, it speaks of the crucifixion. And really, if you were to go through the history, the Jews knew what the crucifixion was, but it was completely foreign to them and that they did not practice any of those things. That was something that was of Rome. Psalm 69 speaks of the gall and the vinegar. It's in Psalms 35 that mentions the words, the exact words that Jesus would use. Psalm 35 says, not a bone would be broken. And there's prophecy after prophecy after prophecy that would look at and take, uh, take a look at the crucifixion of Christ. Nearly a quarter of the New Testament speaks of the crucifixion and the death of Jesus Christ. It is why Jesus came. Not to be served, but to serve. And he did so in giving his life for others. 1 John chapter 3, verses 5 and 8, I'll read here this morning, and I believe they're on the screens as well. But it says, And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. He was manifested to take away our sin. He was brought forth. He was, he was here to take away the sin. And in him there is none. In verse 8 it says, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And we're going to look at that briefly here in the next few moments. But that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus' death was taught by himself in his earthly ministry. It was taught by the apostles. It was, it was central to all the teachings in the New Testament. And it is the same for today, that it would be central to the teaching of our time today. Knowing that we can be called not guilty because the only one to ever be not guilty became guilty on our behalf. 1 Peter 3 and 18 says it this way, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to hope, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. He suffered once for the sin that we might be called not guilty, that we might have the opportunity. And again, last week I made, I made reference in that, that, the thought last week that, that we have the opportunity of being not guilty because Jesus Christ came, died for the sins, but that we could seek forgiveness. That we can seek that forgiveness and be claimed or be called not guilty. And this morning we're going to look more in depth of the Jesus kind of walking through this and what this means for us a little bit here. John chapter 12, if you have your Bible with you this morning, if not, it'll be on the screen. 
But John chapter 12, we'll start in verse 27, we'll go to verse number 34. And we're going to look at the redemptive plan of Christ just a little bit. I don't know if it's through the lens of Jesus, but John 12, verse 27, it says this, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven spying or saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. The people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou, the Son of Man must, must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Father God, this morning I come to you. Lord, I ask that your word would pierce the hearts of those that sit here. I pray for those that are believers that they would be challenged. I pray for those that may not know you as Savior that they may come to know you this morning. Father, as we look at the redemptive plan, as we look at these pass- this passage this morning, these verses that, Lord, you were troubled, you were broken because you knew what was coming up. You knew the separation. You knew the sin that was about to be taken upon yourself. And God, it troubled you. It hurt you. It caused you anguish. It caused you grief. Yet, in honor of your Father and in love for us, you went through with it. God, I pray this morning that we would be challenged. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. This morning, I'm going to get into this and just give you a couple thoughts, a couple really pretty simple thoughts this morning. But the first one is this, His anguish is our benefit. His anguish is our benefit. If we do look at this passage in 27, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? I I don't know about you, but there's so many different things that we can look at. And one of the passages that came to my mind is Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. It says this, for who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I don't know about you, but as I read this passage in John chapter 12 and verse 27, it says, my soul is troubled. I don't know that when you read Hebrews 12, it says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I don't think of a man being troubled and a man having joy. It seems not to go together. But yet when we look at this and we look at the depths of what Jesus was as a man, he was troubled, but yet because he was honoring and glorifying his Father, he went to the cross having joy in his heart because he knew he was glorifying his Father. He knew that he was serving those that he came to serve. And we look at all of these things and and it says that there was that joy. I see a faithfulness. It is also in this passage here in verse number 12, or in chapter 2 or 12 of Hebrews in verse 2, that it says, despising the shame. Really, as we look at this, and this is really where these two verses more come together, 
when Christ is writing this and Christ is saying this, that, that my soul is troubled. He was, he was struggling on the inside, struggling knowing the anticipation of what was taking place. Jesus was knowing that it says they're despising the shame and looking at that. Jesus knew that, that he was going to be separated for the first time ever from his father. He knew that he was coming and as he would go to that cross and as he would take upon all of the sin, all of the guilt of all mankind for all time, he would hold all of that stuff on his, all of that weight upon his shoulders and his father would turn his back for just a split second and it would break the heart of Christ, his son. He knew when he wrote this or when he said this, my soul is troubled. He knew that shame. He knew that separation from his father that was coming. He was anguished. It troubled him. This word trouble is to shake or to be stirred. It is to be agitated. It is to be upset. It is unsettled. It speaks of an emotion that Christ fully human had prior to the time that was coming. I don't know because I can't fully understand this. I don't grasp the the reality of being 100% human and 100% God. We know the story. We know the ending. We know that he would be put on a cross. We know that he would die for the sin of all mankind. And he knew all of those things. But yet, as he was 100% human, he knew that he would feel everything that was about to take place. He knew that in his emotion, he would feel that brokenness. He had love. He had a caring heart, not just because he was God and and though he was, but as a human being, he had a caring heart. We can go back to a story of Lazarus, one of his his family friends, a a good friend, somebody that he loved. What did he do? He wept at the sight. You know what's mind-boggling to me is though he wept, he knew because he's God and he's all-knowing that he would say, Lazarus, rise. But yet as a human, he knew and he felt those, that anguish. He felt that. Just as this moment, he felt that same pain. He was troubled. He was struggling in his own spirit as a, as a human being. Not with sin, not with those things, but he was agonizing the cruel and shame that was near. If we go to chapter 10, a couple of Chapters over in verses 17 17 and 18, it says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. This commandment have I received of my Father. The thing that I love about this passage of Scripture is though Jesus was questioning in his heart, he says, now, my, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? And he comes right in the same sentence, right in the same thought. Father, save me from this hour, but it's for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. He's, he's wrestling as a human, as all of us would. God, what can I say? Should I say, Father, save me from this hour? 
Father, should I, should I cry out? We know what he could have done. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have done all of those things. We, we know that and we understand that. But yet in this moment, he says, but what, I, I'm feeling all this pain. I'm feeling this anguish. I'm struggled. I know that I'm, I'm feeling broken. I'm feeling this, this anguish. I know what's coming. There's a separation that's about to take place. But he says, but for this hour is why I came. The anguish. And I love this as I was doing some study and I was reading through different things. It says this, Father, glorify thy name. See, Jesus was here and he makes reference of this over and over throughout Scripture and the Gospels of that he was there to glorify his Father's name, to honor his Father. If I were to ask you this question, how do we glorify our Father? How was it that the Son of God would glorify His Father? I would say this, this morning, how we glorify the Father and how Jesus glorified His Father really are the same exact things. Because Jesus glorified His Father in that the attributes of God were manifested in Him. Jesus was about to show his love for helpless sinners. Pouring out his wrath against sin, his perfect justice, his redeeming grace, forgiving mercy, his infinite wisdom, but nothing showed his love and his father's attributes like that of the substitutionary death for the sin of all mankind. Listen, how do you and I glorify our father? It is no different for you to glorify God than it was for his son, Jesus, to glorify God. Is he allowed the spirit to live and dwell in him and work through him that the, the attributes, yes, it's at the same time, it's really difficult to say that. Can, would you agree? <laughs> he was kind of God. <laughs> but yet his father was glorified not because he walked on earth and said, I'm Jesus but because the attributes of God were manifested in his life. Listen, tomorrow when you wake up in the morning and you hit the snooze button for the third time and then you eventually turn it off and get up. Maybe you don't hit the snooze button in the morning and that was just a really bad pastor joke. But when you get up in the morning tomorrow, (laughs) I'm sorry. When you get up in the morning and you get yourself ready, Maybe you're dealing with your kids, getting them ready for whatever it is that they're doing. Or maybe you're just getting ready to go into the office tomorrow, to go to your job site, whatever it is that you do for work. Listen, you will glorify God or you will not glorify God by the way that you allow Christ to manifest himself in you and the actions that you take. God is glorified based on our actions, not based on me telling everybody that I was at church yesterday. God is not glorified because Aaron Flanagan is a pastor at Oasis Baptist Church. God is glorified when my life shows him in what I'm doing. It's the same for you. And it was the same for Jesus. And for Jesus, he allowed the the attributes of God to be manifested in his selflessness, in his love, in his everything that he did. So much so the greatest of all of those that he laid his life down. We read that passage just a second ago that it states, Doth my father love me because I lay my life down that I might take it up again. Listen, no man put Christ on the cross. I don't have to tell you this. But he suffered that anguish. He went through all of that thing for our benefit for your benefit, for my benefit, not because of anything else, 
but to glorify His Father. And in that process, you and I are a beneficiary of that. His anguish became our benefit. He was troubled. And in the midst of His struggle and trouble, His love of His Father caused Him to continue through with the ultimate purpose of being here. And that's taking on the sin of the world on that cross. As we continue this morning, the anguish is our benefit. The next point is this, the anguish that led to abandonment. This is just a simple point, and I'm actually skipping a passage, and I'm going to come back to it here. But this is just a simple thought, or a simple statement, really, and it's very small in the sense of this sermon, but the reality is, as Jesus went through the very first portion of this passage of Scripture, and my soul is troubled, and we go through this, and he goes to 28, Father, glorify thy name. And we go through here, and he he reads down as we get back into the, the lower part of this in verses 34 and, or 33 and 34. He says, this he said, signify, signifying what death he should die. And in verse 34 it says, the people answered him. We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? See, the Jews at this time, they obviously forgot, they failed to remember many of the things that they read throughout their their studies in the Old Testament, the law. They looked at a lot of different things, but they kept going back to this point. If God, if this is the Messiah, if this is the King of Kings, if this is, if He is who He says He is, why is He going to die? They couldn't put it, they couldn't wrap their mind around the fact that this is the king. This is, this is the, the great person. This guy is going to be our hero. He is going to be our savior. But how can our hero, how can our savior be cruelly beaten and punished and die? And so they say this question, who is this man? Who is this guy? Surely he cannot be the son of man because he just said he's going to die. He was abandoned by everybody. He was abandoned by everybody. Jesus had anguish. He was abandoned by his father. If we were to go through the scriptures, we were to go through all of the gospels, and one of the things that it's read, and even into the the. Um, the different epistles and the different things throughout Scripture in the New Testament, it speaks of the unity of God the Father, God the Son, and the Spirit. It was a unity like none none other. We can't even begin to comprehend what the unity that they had. And he had always had, think about that, for all eternity, I can't wrap my mind around eternity because I can't fathom anything outside of time. We don't get it. You will begin to give me looks in the next 15 minutes if I don't begin to shut this thing down. Why? Because you've got time and you've got a schedule to play. You've got somewhere to be. You've got a game to watch. You've got a lunch to go to. You've got whatever it is. And we cannot figure out for the life of us how to get off of a clock. We can't figure it out. But yet Jesus leaves his father 
comes to live and dwell as a human being, take upon every human attribute, take all of those things, and walks and talks for 33 and a half years on earth with everybody else. But for a split second in time, there was going to be a complete 100% abandonment because God cannot look on sin. And in this moment, Jesus would hang upon a cross and his father would turn his back on him and God, Jesus' heart would just completely break. I'm not a nurse. I'm not any of those things, but it's been told to me that Jesus died of a broken heart, literally a broken heart. We know that there wasn't a bone broken. We also know that there was blood and water I could be dead wrong in that. But Jesus, his heart was completely broken because there was an abandonment. Listen, I can't imagine being separated from somebody that I just deeply love. We celebrated 60 years. And that's a long time. That's a long time. I would guess that for them to be broken apart right now would be so devastating. I can't imagine. Mindy and I will be 15 years in July. I can't imagine. To be honest, I don't know where I'd be in life minus my wife. I can't imagine one of my children being taken from me. Because there's a bond, there's a love, there's a connection, there's all of those things. And here, Jesus was abandoned by every person The one, Peter, God, Jesus, I'll never leave you. I will never do those things. And what did Jesus say? The cock will throw a crow three times. He was gone. Some girl asks him, hey, aren't you with them? Peter's like, no, not me. Every person. Listen, there's been people I've poured my life into that have left. Just the same as there's been people some of you have poured into that they're no longer in church. They would no longer call you a friend or whatever that would be. Man, that hurts. But every person Jesus loved left him, including his father, because of the sin that he held. That anguish, that anguish led to abandonment. All of that inside of the redemptive plan. The last point this morning as we wrap up is this. Is his anguish over victory. I'm going to go back into this passage in verse 31. It says, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of the world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. I know sometimes we don't look at this as, as victory. None of us, because of the day and age in which we live... Because we're human beings, look at judgment as victory. We just don't. When I think of judgment, I don't think of victory. I don't think of like, hey, that's awesome. Typically, we look at judgment as a, as a bad thing. The only time we might look at it as a good thing is if a judge were to say, hey, I'm coming down with the judgment and you are guilty because you've done some heinous, nasty things. That's about the only time we would go, yeah, that's a, that's a great thing. But God here, Jesus, we look at this passage of Scripture, now is the judgment of this world. 
Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw, what does it say? All men unto me. As we wrap up this morning, his death would bring judgment upon the world. The evil system, that is the world that we live in, not only would there come a judgment on this world, but on the ruler of this world. The enemy, Satan himself, would be cast out. He will lose his influence and authority and will eventually be punished for all of eternity. Victory will be the Lord's for all eternity. He has allowed the influence of the enemy. Think about that. I can't, again, I can't fully grasp this whole God thing. I wish I did. I wish I could just be like, hey, this is how it is. It's this simple. Let's figure this out and we can understand it. I, I can't. But yet he is... He's allowed Satan the flexibility that he has. Can you, can you think about that? He is all-powerful. We know the end. We know, as he just raised, he said it here, the prince of this world will be cast out. We read it in Revelation. He will be cast out. There will be the, 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 the lock will be unlocked and he will be kicked in and he will be pushed in and he will be, the lock will be shut back down and he'll never come back out of it. We understand that. But I, I sometimes go, well, why? <laughs> just kick him now. But you know what? He did. He did. And as we look at this passage of scripture, we live and, and because we're human and because we don't, we don't, we're not perfect as Christ was perfect and we don't see all of those things. And when we look at this, Jesus was going to be beaten. We have this stuff up here for next week, and I don't fully know everything that's going on with it, but we have all this stuff up here, and the, the, the choir's going to do some stuff, and we're going to have this, but Jesus would have been beaten. There would have been, in the center of town, there would have been a big rock, and Jesus would have been tied to that rock, and, and Jesus would have been beaten over and over, and they'd have hit him with the cat and nine tails, and they would spit on him, and they would smack him, and they would they'd throw the crown of thorns and just cram, cram it into his skull and into his head profusely bleeding to the point that it says his mother would not even recognize him. Why? Why? For victory. For judgment. Because sin had to be dealt with. Sin had to be punished. And as Jesus would go upon this cross and as Jesus would take on my sin and Jesus would would bear my pain and Jesus would take all of the things that I should be called guilty for, Jesus took all of those on his shoulders and he would go to a cross. We know the story, but sometimes we, we so often, I forget sometimes and I live my life and I live in defeat. But when Jesus went to the cross... That was one thing. But when Jesus was put into the tomb and the stone was rolled over and for three days later the stone would roll away, the tomb would be empty, the grave clothes would be there and Jesus was raised from the dead, arose from the dead. You and I have victory. Jesus, God's word says what? That victory 
was come. Why? Death would be defeated. Hell would be defeated. Sin would be defeated. All of these things would be defeated in that his coming and rising from the dead. So yes, it's sometimes I wish and I go, man, Jesus, why? Why are you waiting? What are you waiting for? Have you ever thought that? What are you waiting for? Hey, you know how many years this has been going on? (laughs) A couple thousand where people are going, what are you waiting for? You know what he's waiting for? Victory's already been there. He already won. If you know Christ is your Savior and you have accepted Christ and you have sought Him and you've asked Him to forgive you of your sin and you, you've trusted and believed that He died and He rose again and, and you've said, yes, Father, I need a Savior, I need that. He already gave you victory. He's waiting for, you know what He's waiting for? Us to continue to do what we're supposed to do. What does He say? We are to work and be busy waiting in anticipation that He will come back. You know why He's not come back? Because there's still work to be done. But listen, he already gave you the victory. He's already given me the victory. He already defeated death. Why? Because he rose from the grave. He already defeated sin. Why? Because he took that and he carried it upon his shoulders and he died on the cross and he rose again. He already defeated those things. So why do I live defeated? His anguish, his pain, his hurt, it led him to abandonment by everybody. But all of that anguish and all of that pain and all of those things was for our victory. It's for our victory. Listen, one day I'm going to be able to watch. Yes, Jesus is going to come back. And it could be tomorrow, it could be in the next five minutes, it could be before we're all done with this service. But Jesus will come back. There will be a trumpet that will sound, and there will be a a white horse, and there will be, the graves will be emptied for those that know Him, will meet Him in the clouds, and we can go through all of those things. That is victory. That is amazing. That is awesome. But we have that today as we live right now. I said it, I've said it, I've said it a million times, I think, in the last six months. To know Him is eternal life. To know Him is eternal life. And as we know Him, we claim victory. Why? Because He gave us victory. We don't have to live defeated. Listen, sin cannot conquer me anymore because He's already conquered sin. That doesn't mean that I can't struggle But I don't have to live being punched in the nose all day long. I don't. So don't let them. Don't let them. This may be horrible parenting. I have four children. I love each and every one of them. But there's times I've said to my children, because... The older may bully the younger. And that's not Madison. She's an angel. But you know how it is. The oldest will mess with the next youngest. And then the next youngest messes with the next one. And then it goes down. It kind of trickles. And I've told them. They're hitting me. They're poking on me. They're doing this. Then punch them back. 
I, that might be horrible parenting, but at some time, if someone's going to continue to poke you, punch them in the nose. Tell them enough. I have yet to see a bully, and I've yet to watch a bully get punched in the nose who continues to come back for it. No, you, typically, you punch a bully in the nose, and they go, oh, and they do this. Listen, Satan is coming, and Satan keeps coming, and Satan keeps coming, and he's not stopping. But you punch him in the nose once, and you say, my God is greater than you, and he'll back off for just a smidge. And he'll come right back, and you punch him in the nose again, and he'll back off for just another smidge. Why? Because he already knows he's been defeated. He knows that he doesn't win in the end. But here's what he will do. He will make you think, and he makes me think, that I'm not good enough, that I can't do it, that I can't. Listen, I can't. And I'm not good enough. But the one that lives inside of me and reigns inside of me, the one that rules and reigns, does have the power to conquer it. So why do I try to do it on my own? Let's stop. This morning may be a horrible sermon, but at some point today, stop, punch him in the nose, and tell him to get away from you. Because he has no authority over you. Death has no power over me. Sin has no power over me. Because Christ dwells in me. And he had victory over all of those things. So let's let's stop. (laughs) Let's just stop and say, God, hey, here it is. And guess what that means? That means tomorrow, you're going to have to do the same exact thing. And that means the next day, you're going to have to do the same exact thing. But that's why when we look at Scripture and in John, it says to know Him is eternal life. Because we have that victory. And as I know Him, I can claim those things because He is the victor. And because he is the victor and he dwells in me and I'm a child of the king, I have that too because of him. Thank you for worshiping with us here at Oasis Online. If this message was an encouragement to you, would you send me an email and let me know at pastor at obclv.org. Before you go, go check us out at oasisbaptistchurch.org. And if we can be of any help to you, or an encouragement to you, please let us know. Thank you so much for listening, and have a great day.